It's the 11th of July, and this is the second episode of the FBR cast. It's an amazing smile, even the suit has teeth, everything flash and guile, nothing underneath except a small black heart that no one sees but me. I've been watching, I can see you start to wonder, could it Welcome to the FBR Cast, the official podcast for fantasybookreview.co.uk. My name is Josh. And my name is Ryan. And we will be taking you through the latest reviews, interviews with your favourite authors, the latest news from in and around the world of fantasy literature, and any topic we think our editor might let us get away with or simply not pay attention to. Got a great show for you today, but first, what are we drinking? Ryan, what are you drinking? Well... I'm going all posh tonight. It was a cup of tea last week, but this week I have a glass of Blackwood Valley Sauvignon Blanc, and it is quite delicious. I'm actually surprised you can you can say Sauvignon Blanc so well, because I can't. Ah, um, see, I've been drinking for a long time. I probably know exactly <laughs> what you're drinking. Uh, all right, give it a shot. What am I drinking? You're drinking a Pale Ale Miller's Chill. That wasn't, pre- <laughs> that wasn't set up yes, pro- no, previously, was it? Yes, no, we didn't speak about that at all beforehand. Um, no, it, it, it. I'm not a big beer fan, um, but I found this, um, and I actually rather like the pale ale. Um, and now, obviously, I have to have a sip of it. Um, <laughs> How's it taste? Really nice, just like it says on the little thing up the top. Low carb with a twist of lime. So ah. yes, fine. I'm a girl. Leave it alone. That's um, a chill for you. <laughs> with that done, let's jump right into the weekly news. Um, First off, some good news for Terry Brooks fans. Um, I know you're out there. I might be surprised by you, but I know you're out there. Um, Terry Brooks has got a new trilogy coming out. Um, The Dark Legacy of Shannara. So, yes, it's another Shannara book. And it's called The Wards of Fairy, um, set to be published um, in August of this year. Um, Ryan, what's it about? Uh, It's set after the uh, what was it called the the last it was set after the last um, Shannara series so it's the furthest one along in the timeline the um, new druid Grand Omsford uh, it's set after her timeline I'm pretty sure and I'm not really sure what this one's about I haven't been keeping up with uh, the news I haven't read the first chapter yet um, but you know, come August, I'll grab my copy of it and I'll read it like the nice little loyal Brooks reader I am. Yes, well, at least there's someone out there that'll read it. Um, <laughs> you can um, read the first full chapter of the novel. Um, it's available in PDF on the website, um, also on Terry Brooks' website. Um, I'll, re- I'll read you the first paragraph. <clears throat> It was almost one year to the day after she began her search for the elven histories that Aethengloet... Oh, well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a name to give your daughter, isn't it? Aethengloet-Alessadil? Well done. Found the diary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, look, I might not have the world's greatest respect for the author, but I really do wish I'd gotten into more of his books and... I've got some lying around here that maybe one day when I have some spare time <laughs> I'll be able yeah, to read. So. 
he may not be the world's greatest author. He may be a you know child of Tolkien. The you know writes some very derivative books, but you know it was because of him, because of David Eddings, because of Raymond Feist that fantasy found its way into the mainstream, found its way into my hands as a thirteen-year-old boy, and you know. Oh, well, he might not be the best author. I got nothing but respect for what he's achieved in the genre. So, you know, power to him. Yeah, it's a good point. I um, first read fantasy books um, back just after the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. I um, walked away from the theatre and, and, and turned to my father and said, they are going to make a lot of money out of me. And having a look at my Tolkien shelf there, and I was entirely correct. But <laughs> after I read the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy... Um, I went to the local Angus and Robertson and I went to the guy and said I'd like to read something that's like Lord of the Rings and he pulled out the pinkish sort of Shannara book and I took that home and read that, loved it Um, but that was a while ago and there have been a lot of Shannara books since then Yeah, the the old uh, Shannara books they haven't aged particularly well um a lot of that is probably the fault of the new age of writers, the Stephen Erickson's and the Brandon Sanderson's, mm. the George R. R. Martin's, who just have taken fantasy to the next level and you know, it makes the sort of Shinara, which was awesome back when it was released, just look like very derivative and very boring. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's just time not being kind. There's not much more you can say about it. And I, I think I, I think we should um, throw Glenn Cook's name in there as to authors who helped revitalise the fantasy genre. Oh, um, there's a number of names. Continuing on with the Terry Brooks news, um, 2012 is a special year for Brooks. Um, it represents the 35th anniversary of the publication of Sword of Shannara. Um, there's a few things happening, but the one I'm going to let you know about now is a new ebook uh, short story. Um, a new ebook short story that Terry has put out called The Druid. Well, sorry, not, not called that. It's about the Druid Alanon, everybody's favourite Druid, apparently. And it's uh, called Alan, called Alanon's Quest. Um, it's one of three um, short stories that Brooks is going to be putting out about the about the um, the Druid. Um, you going to read this? Um, probably. I didn't realise that there were going to be three about. Alanon. Mm. I I thought there were going to be um, three books in the Paladins of Shannara sort of mini-series and that each one would be set on a different character. But, yeah. Again, I haven't been paying close enough attention, so um, I'll just read them as they come out and enjoy them. As I understand it, it it's um, it's focusing on Alanon, but I might have read a press release wrong at some point. I'm actually interested in this. I, I, I've recently got an iPad, so I finally have a, a sensible solution to read um, <laughs> e-books. And this is a prequel. Well, well, it's set before Sword, so it's something I can read without having missed out on however many trilogies in the meantime. So I, I probably will actually try and get my hands on this and, ha- and have a bit of a read. I'm somewhat interested, which makes me feel a little bit dirty, but... That's fine. <laughs> All right, and the final piece of uh, T 
Terry Goodkind news. Go where Terry Brooks. We've got a lot of Terry Goodkind. Oh, sorry. In there. <laughs> the final bit of Terry Brooks news is um, him and Patrick Rothfuss interviewed each other. I think it was just today. Uh, it went up, went live on his site, or maybe a couple of days ago. Um, it's going to be the first part of a three-part series, and it's just a couple of really popular writers having a chat about how they got into writing and you know what are the upsides, what are the downsides, um, where are they going to from here. One of the most interesting things I found in the interview so far is trying to find that work-life balance and both of these authors failed miserably at it during the <laughs> early parts of their career. They'd just been published. Um, you know, Terry Brooks ruined two marriages and you know, Pat Rothfuss says that he nearly ruined his entire life just by shutting everyone else out so that he could focus on writing. And yeah, he's got, as Patrick Rothfuss likes to do, he answers every question with a little story and all of these little stories are really interesting and you know you just can't help but be enthralled with the whole story behind Patrick Rothfuss he's just such an interesting man and you know I you know, I've got a lot of respect for him and everything that he's done in the genre so far even though he's only written two books yeah and and, and there could be a, a claim made that um, the first book was better than the second book yeah. but I was actually I'm, I haven't had a chance to read through this whole interview yet because you threw this at me about ten minutes before we started recording. But <laughs> I, um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to finding out um, about what the two authors read when they were growing up, um, because for me that's really something that um, that I find interesting. You, I could probably say that it's it's really a case of I want to see when they started reading Tolkien. Um, <laughs> But seeing what else they wrote, especially if it's um, stuff like Orwell or or those other authors, um, I I really find it interesting to see who read what and when and what influence it had on them. Yeah, well, um, you can head on out to terrybrooks.net and there's a link out there to the interview between Terry Brooks and Patrick Rothfuss and you can find out all about these guys, what they um, like to read, and how they ruined their lives. Wonderful. You can probably also find the previous two stories there as well, the short story and the chapter one of Wards of Fairy. But we, we're going to move on um, to an author I, I have no trouble expressing my undying love for, Stephen Erickson. <laughs> he has his own new series coming out uh, later this year, um, starting with the book uh, Forge of Darkness, um, I am beyond excited for this. Set in Coralgulane, or however you want to pronounce that particular war, and I've, it's great in my head, I, I don't try and speak it out loud. Um, it um, apparently will reveal the epic story of a realm whose fate plays a crucial role in shaping the world of the Malazan Empire. Um, I guess I don't have to ask, will you be reading this one? Um... Oh, I will get around to it once I finish reading the uh, Malazan Book of the Fallen, I suppose. Oh, I that's am right. Halfway through book one. <laughs> but how, 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 how did you manage... Oh, Ryan. Ryan. You just sound so disappointed in me. I'm so sorry. 
Okay, why haven't you gotten through the first one? Uh, I mean, you can't even get through the first one? It's really big. And <laughs> I <laughs> There's an answer for you. And it's really big. And he writes very, I don't know, it's like a very dense style of writing that's really hard to adjust to after reading, you know, the very white and playful sort of prose that you get from a Brandon Sanderson. You jump into, you know, Gardens of the Moon and you go, whoa, you know, this is some really heavy world building. This is some really you know, heavy characterization and, you know, I'll, I'll get through it eventually. It's just... The story interests me a lot. I, I think it's really cool what I've read so far. It's, you know, it's just I've got to bite it off at little chunks at a time or I just have to set aside, you know, maybe a month and go, I'm not going to read any more books for Fantasy Book Review for that month and just get through the Malazan Book of the Fallen. Oh, well, might be worth the, might, might be worth the time. <laughs> and if and if you want um, the little subsection to the story, um, the, the, the story is basically the Forge of Darkness that it now has a cover. It's very purple and dark mm-hmm. and bony, which very is exactly comedy. what you'd want out of it. <laughs> but the second part of that story is um, until the August the 7th, the first three books in the series, Gardens of the Moon, Deadhouse Gates, both by Erickson and Knight of Nyes, by his writing partner um, Ian C. Esselmont, uh, will be available for two ninety nine US. I don't know what that'll translate here on Nook and um, on, uh, on Nook. Sorry, on Apple, Amazon, and Bo- Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble is the Nook. Is Barnes the and Nook, Noble right? is the Nook. Yes, right. Not that that's hard to keep track of. Amazon Kindle and Apple, Apple iStore. Yeah, because. Nothing's fun if you and can't stick an eye in front of it. <laughs> and Kobo, I think, the uh, Canadian booksellers. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, good. Either way, they're there as ebooks if you want to read them. Now, another author who has um, apparently, uh, <laughs> no, has definitely helped the, um, the fantasy world um, come into the forefront. Um, and has written a lot of books is Raymond E. Feist and there's some news about him yeah um, he is he has released uh, oh sorry he's just published the release date for Magician's End which is the 9th of May 2013 now that may not seem like a big deal to many people but this is the final book that Raymond E. Feist will be writing in the world of Midkemia. So that is one very epic series that started so many years ago with Magician finally coming to an end. And uh, I haven't been keeping up to date as much as I'd like to. I used to be right up to date with all of his books. Um, the but during the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, yeah, I got really sick of the books and stopped reading them. But yeah, apparently his last series, this um, final series he's writing, has been one of his best. So you know, nostalgia makes me want to pick it up and mm. finish the series and go, hey, I was there and I read all of the Feist books all the way through the end. But yeah, 
there's only so many hours in the day, and and, and there are nearly yeah. thirty fast books set in the Midkemia world. Yes, um, I read the first three. I enjoyed them. Um, I'm halfway through Servant of the Empire, which is the one with Jenny Wirtz, and I'm halfway through Prince of Blood. Yes, I may actually also be halfway through King's Buccaneer. The point of all this being, um, not as good as I was hoping, but. One day maybe we can discuss the our the those books that we've gotten halfway through and, and realised oh <laughs> not so much. The one thing I w- the one thing I will say is that you know while Terry Brooks's uh, sort of Shnara the the first books that he wrote while that has not aged particularly well, um, Magician Silverthorn and Darkness mm. of Seth. Darkness at Sethanon, his first three books have aged really well, and it's just you. been the subsequent the subs- subsequent series that haven't um, you know lived up to the hype that he generated in those first three books. But Magician, you know, even today is up there with um, Tolkien as just a must read in the fantasy genre. Yeah, and. I think you could possibly put that down at the f- feet at the fact that he um he stopped using some of his m- those main characters that he introduced um in those first yeah. three books. All of a sudden, Pug yeah. fell into the background. Um, the the brothers or cousins or I, sometimes I get them confused with the uh, w- w- with the Jenny Wirt series of books. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know they fell into the background it was their children you were supposed to follow and all of a sudden these characters that you loved are gone yeah I mean I think he's um, I think the Empire series they wrote with Jenny Wirtz is another set of his best writing Magician and the Jenny Wirtz series you know if you're going to read any Feist books you really have to read those ones mm. and and Feist is definitely a He's an author I want to get back into. Um, I want to finish his books one day, um, but I just at the moment it's just very difficult to try and throw throw older books into the mix um, for for people who are reviewing new books every week. Um, speaking of new books, Mister Goodkind, Mister Terry Goodkind has has thrown some um, uh, fuel, let's say, onto the fire with his new book um, and I haven't been keeping a lot of, like, I haven't been keeping track of this as much as you have, I know, so tell me what Goodkind has been doing Okay, so a couple of months ago out of the blue uh, Terry Goodkind started um, engaging back with the public, he'd been sort of away from social media for quite some time, fans were getting really restless, his Web, he had a new website that got halfway finished and then just abandoned. Um, for fans, it was just, you know, it felt like a bit of a kick in the guts. And then two months ago, it all started back up again. And, you know, it was, oh, hey, guys, I'm back. And by the way, you'll be getting a new book in one month. <laughs> and nice. it was just, wow, that was completely unexpected. And after the debacle that happened with the Omen machine um, where it was going to be published and it just kept 
getting put back month after month after month before they finally got it out full of spelling errors, typos, bad editing, bad writing. Um, everybody was very sceptical about this, but, you know, Terry said, um, self-publishing this. So after having published 12 books with Tor, 13 books with Tor, and one book with Penguin, um he still has a three book deal with Penguin that he has to um, honour and he still has a three book deal with Tor that he has to honour but he's just come out and said I'm going to write a prequel series that has nothing to do with my Penguin series his Penguin series was The Law of Nines which was the modern day thriller um, that has a bit of linkage into the sort of truth world um, his Tor series is the Omen Machine series with Richard and Kalen that he's just started up. Um, no, he started. He decided to uh, go and self-publish a prequel series titled "The First Confessor: The Legend of Magda Cirrus." Uh, you're going to be reading it. Uh, I'm reading it right now, actually, and I think we've got. We'll discuss it a bit later in the podcast. We will too, won't we? Hey, look at that. Yeah. That's what happens when you have a script. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, let, let me rephrase. That's what happens when you forget to read the script. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, the as you said, there's some meat, there's been some fuel thrown on the fire. Um, there's a lot of talk about his lack of loyalty to Tor and Penguin. Um, then, you know, a lot of authors have come out and said, no, you, you've got to make a living somehow and fully respect his decision to self-publish when, you know, he's running into roadblocks with the publishers. Um, so there's a lot of uh, back and forth between two very, you know, I suppose, not influential, but just vocal groups. I suppose mm. the authors are, in, are influential, but the people who are, you know, saying that Terry Goodkind's selling out on his publishers, they're very vocal, but have very little influence um but the big thing the one that everybody is talking about is somebody took the ebook of the first confessor and put it up as a torrent uh amongst all the torrent sites and terry goodkind has on his facebook site publicly named the person who did it publicly named and shamed him included um a lot of personal details about the guy, um, all of his Twitter handles, his um, PlayStation Network handles, um, you know, everything short of his address and phone number, really. And you know, it's a it's a move designed to name and shame pirates, um, and it's going to remain to be seen whether this backfires or not. I mean, that's a lot of personal information to be putting up on the web and telling your band of loyal followers to go lynch him um, piracy is a really bad thing it harms the author's ability to make money and therefore harms their ability to write more books but the whole public naming and shaming thing yeah, I don't know if that's the right way to go about um, battling piracy. What do you think, Josh? No, to be perfectly honest, it's a pretty, it's a pretty childish way to go about it. Um, it's no better, really, than the pirateurs, pirateers, 
I don't know what that word would be. Either way, I, it, it, it's not much better than the the same sort of flack that those people cop, because Terry, Terry Goodkind has used his fame um, and presumably the help of somebody rather um, helpful um, to be able to actually get this information. Although looking at it now, um, I won't uh, use the guy's name, but the information here is, uh, to be perfectly honest, it's pretty basic. Um, I could probably find this out about Terry Goodkind from his uh, Twitter profile or maybe his um, torrent site profile. But regardless, it, it's a pretty childish way to react to something which, yes, is illegal, yes, is frowned upon by most people, but is going to happen regardless. Um, and he, he, he probably just actually picked on the one person who had the most information um, publicly available. There's probably, a nut, there's probably another dozen people who have put the book up um, and good can probably couldn't find any information about them. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's, it just seems a juvenile way to, to react to a, a problem that is going to continue existing if you don't put your books out in a manner that everybody can afford. I, I think uh, resorting to this is a real shame because he was doing such a good job to combat the whole piracy thing. Um, for, for those who don't know, um, this book is in e- e-book format only. Um, he did a run of 300 collectors editions selling for 300 bucks that you got a leather-bound book plus a whole bunch of um, concept artwork, uh, rings and pendants and some really cool stuff, everything all signed by the author himself. Um, but, yeah, he was really promoting the whole ebook revolution. Uh, he made it available. So it was 300 bucks for the collector's edition or you could pick up the ebook for $8. Um launched worldwide on every single platform that he could find on the same day to as many countries as he could all the rights pending and you know the whole the whole thing they did a whole bunch of research on why do people pirate and the biggest reason that they got for why people pirate is accessibility that you know I want the stuff now it's available now in another country in another format in another place and I just can't access it now and he was trying to combat piracy by making it as accessible as possible and and if you yeah. and and you're right and I just brought this up on the iTunes store and it's only 899 available on iPhone iPad iPod touch who knows how much it's going for everywhere else and and considering the price of some ebooks out there th- th- this is the right price to be selling your ebook for sometimes you'll get an ebook which is actually going to come away as more expensive than say the copy on Amazon which is obviously discounted because they're Amazon but it's ridiculous the way that some companies are using ebooks to gain more money when in reality it's a it, it it's a no cost publication all you're um, paying for is the author's time and effort which is worth paying for but it's maybe not worth paying $15 for I, I, I would disagree with that um, the actual print costs are only you know two to three dollars per book it's um, not a massive part 
of the actual pricing of the book. The the what you're paying for is um, you know the reason why it's so big. The ed- the authors only get you know between seven and twenty five percent royalties for every book sold. The rest of the money is going to the editors it's going to the publicists it's going to the copy editors it's going to the typesetters the people who do the formatting the people who do the spell checking there's there's something like 20 20 people who touch that manuscript before it's ready to um, go out to print and you know if you're thinking you know in a country where you have a minimum wage and your whole business relies on you selling those books. I mean, you know, trying to make enough money to pay the wages of all those people so you can put out a quality product, you know, it, the, the prices stack up pretty quickly. I think, e- that said, e-books, are, they're easier to produce now with all the software tools that people have developed. You know, now, you know, publishing companies, they're not, hiring um you know typesetters or formatters or type you know those types of professional people are now hiring programmers people who can code in html because most ebooks are programmed in html and you know if you want a quality ebook then you know a lot of companies are gonna you know make you pay the right price to get the right quality and it it yeah it turns out to be a shame the amount of money that they actually make you end up paying. Um, then again, there is the flip side of that coin, which is: do you want a do, do you want an ebook which is free of um, mistakes and errors, or do you want one that is a flawless read from top from top to bottom, with good cover art and all that sort of stuff? And in the end, you know, what is the perfect Price for an ebook? Do you think? Uh, it it entirely depends on you know who is publishing it for me. Um, if it's self published, then my perfect price is about you know five dollars, I think, because the author is getting you know close to seventy percent of the royalties, seventy percent of everything that the book. Yeah, if, of every copy sold goes to the author. Um, yeah, that kind of makes up for the lack of having an advance. Uh, most publishing companies will pay the author, say a yeah, used to be yeah, a three used sense. to be a three figure advance. Now it's a oh sorry, used to be a six figure advance. Now it's a five figure advance. Um, you know, so authors get paid say fifty thousand dollars upfront to write. You know. Three, three books in two years and you know if you're self-publishing and you have a brand name that's really recognisable and you're going to make 70 cents per copy you know you can sell maybe 100,000 copies and 200,000 copies and make all that money back much more quickly and then if you have you know multiple books out that you've self-published you do, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Michael J. Sullivan or uh, oh, what's her name, Amanda Hocking. I haven't. Um, they're 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 two um, self-published success stories. Um, 
Michael J. Sullivan wrote six books in a series called the uh, Raira Revelations. Uh, very, very good reads. Uh, self-published all six of them in a very short time period. Uh, all right, he got to self-publishing the fifth book. Um, he was selling, you know, something like twenty thousand copies a month, and selling them at five dollars a pop. So he was making what's it. twenty thousand times three dollars fifty. You know, he was making sort of sixty thousand dollars a month, and. After he, after the fifth book, he was about to release the sixth book when he was made an offer by Orbit, which he then took, and Orbit then repackaged, rebranded, put him on bookshelves, used their advertising um, workhorse to get him out to so many more people than he could reach by just doing self-publishing. Um, he took a smaller advance, and he gets less royalties now. Um, he's making less money now, but he's reaching more people, and if he ever chooses to go self-publishing again, then you know he already has a huge audience. Yeah, yeah. He's got a huge fan base now, a huge audience who will read all his stuff. Amanda Hocking, she um, wrote like eight or nine books while she was working uh, in a nursing home, and she put them all up, you know, within a few months of each other. At it was like two or three dollars a hit. Maybe I mean, maybe yeah, one ninety nine a hit, and she's sold you know of those nine books combined, she sold something like over a million copies, and so for seventy percent of two dollars times a million, I mean, that's not bad for someone who is you know working minimum wage in a nursing home. She's no, now got bad. a big book deal with, yeah, she's and now got a big book deal and she's writing. Um, for a professional publisher and things are looking great for her. And Terry Goodkind, who has an existing fan base of uh, a pretty decent fan base probably at that um, is selling a yeah. book for eight ninety nine. Yeah. He's going to do alright out of it himself I think. Another author who's going to be doing alright for himself is found in this week's calendar list of books Mr. Terry, oh sorry Sir Terry Pratchett um, released um, his newest book um this time a collaboration with Stephen Baxter uh, entitled The Long Earth um, and that came out actually, um, I, I should have the information here, I can't find it there J- June 19 the book came out and currently it's being read um, in the other room by my father who is who, who got to the book for, before I did uh, mainly because I'm stuck in the middle of a much much larger book that I'll be telling you all about later um and I'm stoked for this book because the last collaboration Pratchett encountered was the one with Neil Gaiman, uh, Good Omens, which was a fantastic book. Um, are you going to be reading this? Uh, as soon as I can get my hands on it, then yeah, I'm probably going to be reading this. It looks really good. It it's it's you know looks like a. A dual timeline story, 1916, the Western Front, and 2015, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I think it's a trilogy, if I remember I believe, correctly. I believe the... Sorry. Sorry, I believe the concept's a sort of parallel world sort of concept, an infinite amount of um, parallel Earths, uh, hence the title, The Long Earth. Which has been a, yeah. a, um, a concept Pratchett has worked into his uh, famous 
beloved Ditsquilled series, um, specifically um, when you um, meet the librarian and he, he, he goes wandering around the libraries looking for other books. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm hoping to be able to read this on the weekend, um, but who knows how it's all going to go down, to be perfectly honest. Another book, which is... Um, let, let's see. It's um, come out today, actually. If, if today is July 10th... No, that was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> July 10th. Um, came out today. Uh, Year Zero, a novel by Rob Reed. Um, just give me the one-sentence premise for this one, because I uh, love hearing it. <laughs> the one-sentence premise uh, is that all those radio waves that we've been sending out for Earth all these years, well, turns out aliens have been listening and one of them has got a conscience and decided, oh my god, we're actually pirating all of Earth's music, we need to go down and pay them lots of money. Oh, perfect. And it's written by an author who should know about this sort of thing. It's written by Rob Reed, who was the sole founder of the online music company, Listen.com. You might not have heard of it. Realistically, though, you will have heard of Rhapsody, uh, music streaming site. Everybody's heard of it, hopefully. Um, originally acquired by Real Networks and then by MTV. He should know about the pirating industry, the, especially when related to music. He's a good mind, and I'm looking forward to reading this book because it sounds hilarious. Um, a book that's probably a little less hilarious is the third book in Daniel Suarez's series. Now, for those who don't know, which includes Ryan, I believe. You haven't read D Daniel Suarez. I have, have never read any Daniel Suarez. Uh, I've heard of his books, and that's about as far as I've gotten. You're missing out because this series is is really the beginning um, of, not so much beginning of a new genre, but he, he's really nailed the, 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 the genre of techno-thriller, which really takes the idea of modern-day technology and, and what we now understand and can do with tech and all of that stuff, and then goes well past what Michael, Michael Crichton or Tom Clancy could ever do. Basically, the premise was um, back in the first book, uh, which is, I believe, called Damon or Demon, however you want to pronounce that one. Um, a um, software developer, a computer game developer, dies and upon his death releases uh, a demon into the internet, which starts killing people and and executing tasks. And from then, you have literally a cultural revolution. Um, and and I haven't gotten to the se the, se the second book in the series yet, Fr Freedom TM. Um, but as I understand it, um, there is an actual revolution. There is an actual change to society based around what Daniel Sobel, this dead um, developer, um, has managed. And Kill Decision continues this um, series, I think. Um, who knows? To be perfectly honest, if even if it doesn't, I'm I'm seriously stoked to read another book by Daniel Suarez because he's got such a wonderful grip on um on the on tech and the way that it can be used and could be used and probably will never be used. But if it was used, we'd all be terrified. Um, 
lastly, this sounds uh, very. No, sorry. go on. Yeah, now go on, mate. I want to hear what you have to say. Sorry, I was going to say um, this sounds very similar to the uh, Newsflash series by Mira Grant. Um, feed and Deadline, and I can't remember what the name of the third book that just came out. It's about. Um, the zombie apocalypse as documented by a bunch of bloggers and techno geeks. <laughs> that and, sounds fantastic. Yeah, a very, yeah, a very, yeah, they say realistic take on if a zombie apop- apocalypse were to happen, what, you know, what would happen, what would people do? I believe it's actually been nominated for a Hugo this year as well, uh, Deadline, the second book in the Newsflash series. And, Feed, the first book, was nominated for a Hugo the year before. So, you know, this, this sounds very similar. Lastly, um, la- lastly on the calendar is a book I am absolutely stoked for. I cannot wait to get my hands on this. It's Whispers Underground by Ben Aronovich. Um, and it is the third in um, his series. Um, set in England, um, the, the police establishment there and the last remaining wizard in the um, police force has finally taken on an apprentice and that is the um, the world in which this is set and this new book there's a new there's a dead body at the far end of Baker Street tube station it's all that remains of American exchange James, James Gallagher and naturally Inspector Nightingale and Peter Grant. Um, sorry, it was Sorcerer, not Wizard. And they are out to have a look to find out what's going on because this is a bit of a magical um, problem that they're going to have to deal with. Um, I can't wait to read this. I've loved everything Aronovich has written that I've read, which is really only the first two books. But the um, the author uh, probably maybe better known to some people as um, as an author of um, TV shows, at least TV show episodes like Doctor Who and Jupiter Moon. Um, yeah, I'm I'm stoked for this one, and um, I can't wait. What I'm really looking forward to, though, um, is finishing the book that I'm currently reading. Um, and now it's time to talk about what we're reading um, and Ryan do you want to go first with your book you, we, we mentioned it earlier The First Confessor by Terry Goodkind you're reading it as we speak or probably not as we speak but yeah I'm uh, I'm about halfway through it at the moment um, what what can I really say it, if, if you've read any of the previous 13, 14 Terry Goodkind books, then you know what you're in for. A convoluted magic system, um, you know, a lot of grandstanding, a lot of speeches about um, you know, using, using uh, reason over, you know, reason over your heart, um, being able to, you know, make the right decisions no matter what, um, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, philosophy that good kind, you know, his personal philosophy that he likes to throw at you through a lot of his different characters. Um, the the first confessor, it's not much different to that. Um, what I will say is that 
it is miles and miles better than the pile of poop that was the Omen machine. Um, clean rating, clean rating, yeah, right? Yeah, clean rating. Um, We've got to focus on that, at least <laughs> for now. We haven't had that much to drink. Yeah, uh, the Omen machine was just terrible. Um, as, as I mentioned before, plagued by production errors and just not very interesting at all, despite having an awesome concept. This time, uh, with The First Confessor, it's a prequel. It goes back to the time where you know, magic was rife throughout the uh, three lands, the, the Westlands, the Midlands, the Tahara. There was a massive war with the Old World that was going on. The Old World was using Dreamwalkers and... The New World was, you know, trying to come up with various means of combating these Dreamwalkers, and one of the means was to create the Confessors. And so this goes through the confe- uh, the process of creating a Confessor, um, the first woman to take on the role of being a Confessor, uh, all the sacrifices that she had to make, uh, the loss of her husband, the betrayal of some people. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, it, it's a very familiar, easy-to-read, good-kind book, and you know, he doesn't knock it out of the park, but you know, it's better than The Omen Machine, better than The Law of Nines, and you know, not quite as good as confessor the book that he finished the sort of truth series with but yeah not far away um we mentioned earlier we have a script for this show and in it you've written something that I, that made me laugh um for magic <laughs> system connoisseurs you will still hate it uh is that yeah. because there isn't a magic system or that is because the magic system is so convoluted it um it's probably you you've read aragon yes. and and those books um, in the middle section the yeah, books 5, 6, 7 and 8 of uh, the Sword of Truth series um, magic was just used as deus ex machina um, Wonderful. Yeah, Richard and Kalen would be put into some really terrible situations things were going so good he's run them through the meat grinder you're going oh this is a great story this is so good and then Richard discovers he can do this magic that no one else has known about before and he <laughs> realises it right at the end and he saves the day uh, and you like go it, oh my like, god um, the third Aragon book uh, I've obviously expunged the name yeah. from my memory but the book um, for me was highlighted by the um, the time that Aragon used his magic as an alarm clock. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm not going to be reading this book then. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, it it it's for seasoned good kind readers. I mean, if you haven't read the Sword of Truth series from start to finish, you're probably going to get a bit more out of it than you would have with the Omen Machine. The Omen, machi- the Omen Machine was definitely for, you know, previous readers only. This one being a prequel, um, it's more accessible to new readers, so yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't give it a try. It's not the best book in the world, but, you know, Good Kind is a good writer. He's, you know, New York Times bestseller. Who for- isn't? <laughs> 
well, he's been a number one bestseller for, you know, almost all of his books. And so, you know, you don't get there without being able to have some writing ability. One day I want to be able to discuss that topic. <laughs> However, in the meantime, um, I want to tell you about what I've been reading, or at least uh, one of the books, and then I'll jump back to you because we've both got two books this week. I'm reading Nearly Finished, The Crippled God by Stephen Erickson. We've already discussed the fact that you hate Stephen Erickson. Um, <laughs> I did not say that. Do not put I, words in my I, mouth. I'm fairly certain that we could... We could no, maybe not. Um, but I've got less than 300 pages to go, and it is coming down to the wire. This book is fantastic. If for no other reason than all of my favourite characters are finally back in one place. The problem... No, there's not a problem. One of the... Um, tendencies I've found with this series is that Erickson doesn't like to spend too much time uh, with characters before he jumps off to another continent or um, in some books he'll just ignore them entirely or just walk away to a different continent or reality that was me hitting my light because I'm gesticulating wildly about how stoked I am to finally have Paran and his sister Tavor and Whiskey Jack and Fiddler and and everybody and Quick Ben and Kalam and everyone's back and if you cared at all then you would know these names but you don't so that's fine I'm still confused <laughs> with the books though I've 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 even gone to the point of going onto the internet and finding the Malazan forums and I'm asking I'm desperately hoping that I'm not the only one who was still confused at book ten um so much of the time I have no idea what's going on um, there are paragraphs and, and chapters that um, reveal information I'm like was I supposed to know that earlier I hope not because I totally didn't we'll see what happens my well our editor at um, FBR Lee has told me that that's pretty much how it's supposed to be and that the reread really makes it easier rereading a 10 book series not something that's going to be happening anytime soon. But <laughs> hey, maybe Lee will pay me to do it and uh, Ryan and I can do a podcast talking about our reading through the series. Now, that would one be of the, wonderful. <laughs> now, one of the things I... Because I am actively following Stephen Erickson online. I, I think he's an absolutely fascinating person to follow. Um, he gives such great interviews. One of the things that he said that was that reading this series from start to finish... There's a bit of um, uh, sort of metaphysics going on here. Um, it's the way he's designed the series is that he's taking the reader on a hero's journey, and that by reading these books, you should feel changed by the end of it. You know, there's parts of it that you're going to love, parts of it that you're going to hate, and the act of struggling through the hardest parts makes the ending so much more satisfying um, is that the oh. sort of thing that you've felt running through the series? Absolutely this yeah. I'm a history buff already um, I genuinely love reading um, historical accounts uh, histories uh, documentaries about um, big events in the past and from the moment that I started reading the um, the series, the Malazan Book of the Fallen series, it's felt like I was in a historical class. 
looking at a world that only Steven Erickson and Esselmont were actually able to see. Um, and as a result of that, um, that, that similarity to history, the, the same impact has had on me. Um, I'm learning from the history. Um, you know, those who are... Um, the, 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 I can't remember the, the, the exact sentence, but the, those who fail to um, learn from history are doomed to repeat it or something like that. And that's what I'm feeling like here. I'm feeling as if I'm learning from this history, despite the fact that the history is apparently made up. Um, you, you do get to the end of a book and realise... Does he maybe have access to a parallel universe? No, that's probably not realistic. But, well, maybe. Because there's stuff going on. And y yes, there's a great story there. Um, and yes, it's a fantastically built world. Um, but there are entire chapters of this book. Not just a little paragraph here and there, but entire um, chapters w which really don't drive the story on... In a in a traditional sense, but Erickson is in no way telling a, tr a traditional story. Um, he's telling a story that is supposed to change you and teach you. And there are things that that there there are points of view from the hundreds almost. I, I'm sure it's hundreds of characters that I'm reading about, and, and and their point of view and their interpretation of the events that I'm learning from. And it, it's it's sublime. I. Um, Tolkien books um, uh, are given a lot of um, time and, and critiquing. You get annotated versions and 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 journals written about them. I can only hope that we get something similar for for the Malazan books because it's um, it's deserved of the same attention that we give Tolkien and that, and to a lesser extent to um, that we give history. It sounds like such an amazing series, and, you know, once I can set aside that month, I will get through Gardens of the Moon and then get on with the rest of the series, I hope. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's worth your time. Another book... <laughs> nice segue, Josh. No, an another <laughs> book that's worth your time um, is... It, it's actually a collection. Um, I haven't read a lot of short stories, um, which is much to my detriment. But this is called uh, Songs of the Dying Earth. It's edited by George R. R. Martin, everybody's favourite author. Um, and he, he worked alongside Gunnar Dezois. Um, he was the editor of Asimov Science Fiction magazine from 1984 to 2004. He's won Hugo and Nebula Awards as an editor and a writer of short fiction. They obviously both know what they're doing. And... This book is a collection of short stories set in a dying Earth. Um, now, for those who don't know, uh, Dying Earth was a, a book, a, a series, a, a collection of short stories written by Jack Vance back in the 50s, um, set on an Earth uh, many, 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 many years in the future where magic has uh, reinforced itself. It's come back. Um, the sun is dying. Um, it's a dying earth oh oh right and there is um, and there's this wonderful um, gluttony and 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 um, just sort of fatal, fatalistic way of looking at the world um, this book is just a collection of um, short stories written by an amazing group of authors uh, 
all dead, all set in a dying earth. Um, and it, it, it's written by authors who, who at one point in their lives have, have been affected by Vance's writing. You've got names like Tad Williams, Glenn Cook, Dan Simmons, George Martin himself, Neil Gaiman, um, Elizabeth Moon. There, there are some great names in here, and I've just uh, finished reading um, Tad Williams' story. Uh, it's called The Lamentably Comical Tragedy or The Laughingly Tragic Comedy of Lixalite of Lixal Lackavy and it was hilarious and it was teaching um, and it was everything I want out of a short story um, I recommend everybody get their hands on this book um, another book people should get their hands on is the book the other book you're reading um, yeah I'm also reading The Macabre Rider um, A Mensch With No Name by Ed Erdelak now I know a lot of you are saying, who's this Ed Erdelak guy? Um, I certainly said that when uh, Lee told me I had to read uh, his first <laughs> his first book. Um, yes, that's Ed, what it's like having an editor, people. Ed, Ed actually has a, um, you know extremely good range of credits to his name. He's actually been invited to um, submit stories in the Star Wars universe and has successfully um, written in the Star Wars universe for a few years now and so I'm really surprised that I hadn't heard about him up until um, his until I got his submission so for those who don't know which is probably a lot of people um, the Macabre Rider is a series of short stories the first book was called Tales of a High Plains Drifter this is the second book I'm reading now I mentioned with no name each book has four short stories or four maybe novella sized stories in them which um, explores our main character his name's Ryder um, he does have a Jewish name but he prefers to go by the name of Ryder um, he is chasing his former mentor and murderer and all-round bad guy um, across the United States of America. It's set during sort of Wild West times, so it is a lot of um, mosey on up here, riding horses, and then you know the rider playing with Jewish mysticism, which is actually really cool and as far as I know, the very limited research I've done, it is you know, quite accurate with uh, Jewish mythology and Jewish mysticism. So um, the main part of this, the whole macabre writer part, is that Jewish mysticism believes in you know the universe existing with multiple planes of existence and those who apply themselves are able to transition from one plane to another plane and the stuff they do in one plane will affect events in the other plane so you know there's a lot of um, cool problem solving stuff that goes on in these stories um, this is the second collection of short stories uh, they're much better written than um, his first collection he's really starting to hit his stride with this um, yeah, if you're looking for something very different, the whole weird Wild West sort of style of writing, then yeah, I can't recommend these highly enough. They're they're just so different, but so fun to read. This is another time I wish 
the listeners could see our scripts, and they won't ever see our <laughs> scripts. But I wish they could because, once again, Ryan's written something just that made me laugh so much. Second point on this, our favourite Wild West Jewish mystic is back. <laughs> that should be on the front cover of every book. I don't care if it's got a Jewish mystic in it or not. Um, I think we're going to pick up the pace here a little bit because it's we're getting on. We're coming up to an hour recording, which, wow, I didn't know we were going to be recording this long, but hopefully the conversation has been good enough. Um, we do still want to look, look at the reviews of, um, well, not so much the past week anymore, Re- reviews that Ryan and I have picked out of ours that we want to um, touch on um, because we are a review site. That's what we're all about. Um, I'll go first um, because I... This is another author that I've come across recently, Kate Elliott. Um, come across recently, you say? She's been writing for a decade and more. Yes, I know. I'm very behind on some authors. I'm very ahead on others, so shut up. But right now, I've finally gotten into her uh, Spirit Walker trilogy, which is her latest trilogy. It's coming out at the moment. Um, third book due out later this year. Um, and um, I've actually reviewed both her previous books on the site, Cold Magic and Cold Fire. Um real quickly, these are books you have to read um, for, for no other reason than they are beautifully written books uh, Kate Elliott has the perfect um, grasp on how to move a character ahead how to move the story ahead and how to just grab a reader and, and hold them and, and just keep them keep them entertained the whole way through what really got me though was the world um in which she's written these books. Um, I want to take a moment to read um, the beginning of the acknowledgements from the first book um, called Magic. It says, A few years ago, my three children, all then in high school, and their friends, Jamie Blair and Stephen Blocker, asked me if I wanted to world build with them, and thus we began collaborating. And it was from that collaboration that sprung... um, this, these books and it's a world where the latest Ice Age um, never went away um, I should be able to um, yeah it's a fantastic series you've got maps up the front which I, I love a good map but this is the map of Europa in 1837 Augustan year and it looks a little like Europe but nothing's named the same and there's a lot less water because all that water is caught up in the massive glaciers just to the north. Um, and then over the seas you've got you've got a, um, a country known as, known as Amarik or Amarik or some variation thereon. You've got a world which is spawned... You've got magic spawned by the ever-present glaciers still in existence airships get you from Europa to the Antilles and Hallow's Night is something that everybody is afraid of for good reason Um, these books you really should read um, if you haven't yet had a chance to Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of Kate Elliott to read Um, you haven't actually had a chance to read any Kate Elliott have you Ryan? Uh, no it's one of those ones that I always see it on the bookshelf and I always go I really need to read them and I will do it after I finish this book 
which turns into 48 other books which got sent yeah. to you, only two of which you wanted to read. Exactly. Um, maybe this year, now that we're doing this podcast, I'm going to be required to buy you a Christmas present or something. Maybe I'll buy you this year <laughs> for Christmas or something. But I recommend it to everyone else out there who doesn't actually have to read a certain amount of books or, or prescribed books that, if you don't, Lee gets upset at you. Um, now, Ryan, you've uh, picked out a review from a, um, recently as well that you've written. You want to tell me about Embers of an Age? Uh, yeah, Embers of an Age is written by Tim Markwitz. It's the second book in his Blood War trilogy, and it came out, I think, May of this year. And, um, you know, full, full disclosure with this one, um, I was involved in the um, early reading of his early drafts, and so I got to see this book go from the, you know, less than ideal sort of draft that Tim wrote at the start to the very polished piece that he ended up creating and um, you know I've so all of a sudden because I've been involved in that process I've got a vested interest in this book and I just think that everyone should read it now <laughs> I've um, Lee, Lee introduced me to uh, Tim Markowitz. Oh, geez, must have been about eighteen months ago. Uh, I read his novella called Skulls, which was a horror story about a young boy who found a cellar of skulls, and every time he looked into the eyes of the skulls, he got a um, flashback and saw how they died, and um, that was, you know, it was really cool. And you know, from there, you know, I've gone through and read. Tim's entire library. He's a primarily horror author, and with the Blood War trilogy, that's his first go at trying fantasy, trying epic, more of the epic style of fantasy. Um, the first book in this series, the uh, called Dawn of War, it was um, it wasn't the best epic fantasy book I've ever read. Um, it had a lot of um, you know not debut author errors but debut epic fantasy author errors um, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of viewpoints that just cycled <laughs> around so you'd go one chapter with one person who was on one side of the country then another chapter with another person on the other side of the country and you never really got to know any of the characters. They were all spread out all over the place and they're all different races, different countries, and they're all converging on this one point which was, you know, the the tipping point of the war. It was the dawn of the massive blood war. Um, book two follows on the aftermath of that tipping point. Um, the city, the massive city where they all met, um, it's fallen and the good guys are on the run the bad guys, they they won the first battle and they're looking to mop up scraps they're um, chasing after our good guys and you know they've got not much hope of uh, doing anything at all and that's when they come up with a plan to uh, enter the forbidden lands to go and recover some hidden relics and hopefully fight the baddies with uh, their own magic and this book I think is a better epic fantasy book than his first attempt than Dawn of War um, it just feels more epic in scope 
than the first one. The first one was, you know, yeah, I got a lot of races and I got a lot of viewpoints, but it was not really all that epic. There was like just this one war and it didn't really seem to have much of a, you know, impact to the way the world was being run. It was just, oh, okay, it's just another war, whatever. But, you know, with book two, Tim has gone to great lengths to make sure that, you know, you know that if the good guys stuff up this time, you know, it's going to have some pretty big consequences for the entire world. And, you know, these these consequences, you know, involve a lot of pain and a lot of suffering because the person who is looking to inflict this suffering, she was hurt, she was scorned, and she is looking for revenge. Uh, it's a it's a classic revenge story. Um, it's a lot of uh, violence, a lot of blood, a lot of um, actual stand-up and cheer moments, I suppose you'd call it, where some of the characters, some of your favourite characters, make some really um, cool decisions and win some really epic battles. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just surprised to see how much Tim learnt from his first book and was able to apply all those lessons in writing his second book and you know it makes me really excited for what he's going to achieve with the final chapter of this trilogy how much credit are you going to be taking for that change oh all of it your lesson? all of it <laughs> all of it he's uh i've actually got a credit in the book so um oh, that's good that's that means right. that i can good. take all the credit i want wonderful um i'm, I'm actually really intrigued You've actually sold me on it. If it wasn't for the 37 other books I've got to read, <laughs> I'd be reading it right away. Um, that's pretty much all we've got time for today. In reality, it might have been all we had time for about half an hour ago, but hopefully you've stayed around long enough to... Um, hopefully you've stayed around long enough to hear me say this. <laughs> so, you, so remember, you can find us at fantasybookreview.co.uk where we have all of our reviews um, by pretty much all of your favourite fantasy books, a lot of books you've never heard of, and a series of books that you know you should have read but haven't just yet. If there is a gap, if there is a hole, something that we need to fill, um, Wheel of Time being a big one, of course... Um, oh. Don't get onto us, let us know, and maybe you can get a job. <laughs> maybe you can get a job as a reviewer and fill in uh, and fill in all these gaps that we haven't been able to fill. And have Lee breathe down your neck. Wonderful. We Your should turn. really be better at selling this. <laughs> you can also find out the latest news from the world of fantasy books and anything else we feel links even slightly to the world of fantasy at our blog. At the moment, it's um, you can get a link to it um, from fantasybookreview.com co.uk forward slash blog no forward slash fbr blog sorry um, it'll be soon it'll soon be at fbrblog.com but we're waiting on some transferring happening on that one uh, we'd also like you to come and join our goodreads book club where this month we're looking at among others by joe walton um, if you've already read it that's great leave some comments if not go and grab it it's a fantastic book and i can't recommend it highly enough and, of course, you can find us on all of the social network sites, Twitter at FanBooRev at, and at FBRBlog, Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FantasyBookReview, and we're also on Twitter at Josh S. Hill and RyanL1986, which tells you far, far too much about Ryan. <laughs> you can also email us um, at 
blog at fantasybookreview.co.uk. Um, drop us a line, tell us what you think about the podcast, and I'll definitely read it and um, send something back to you. I, I might read it too. And <laughs> we'd love to hear what you have to say, especially about issues like uh, the Terry Goodkin thing, piracy and, and e-books and all of that. Um, and the awesome song you'll you'll hear at the beginning of the show and at the end of this podcast is Stealing Horses by Carl Burr. And you can find out all about him in our show notes, which you can find at the blog um, underneath the latest post for this podcast. That is the latest episode of the FBR cast. I think this was better, right, if longer. Um, I was actually quite happy with it. I think we had some really good discussion. Um, we probably want to limit our discussion uh, next fortnight, but, you know, I, I thought we had some great discussions about piracy, about ebooks, and, you know, if you want to see any topic discussed, then drop us a line and we'll certainly do some research and bring it to you on the next episode. Or comment on the blog. Either way, we want to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining me, Ryan. We will catch you another time. Head out for the border. You won't make it out alive. Only death will set you free. Death will set you free